0: I'm going to open today with a divine opportunity. Um, Denise and I got home from vacation, and, and uh, things have been challenging. Things have been tough. There's been a lot of relational uh, stuff going on, different relationships. It's been hard, and came home to—I mean, it's all minor in the grand scheme. It's like, woe is me, but came home to a dead battery, <clears throat> charged it, was still dead, found out it was the alternator. I don't work on cars, so I spend a lot of money to get it fixed. And then a short time after that, the brakes are going out. And I'm like, seriously? You know, it's just one of those three steps forward, two steps back. And so my neighbor keeps harping on me and saying, you know, hey, man, I used to be a mechanic. I, I'll help you with that. I'll help you with this, you know. And so finally I'm like, okay, I'm going to take him up on it. So I'm like, my brakes are out if you have some time. And this is my neighbor that's been, like, completely resistant to God that says no to everything I invite him to just does not want to talk about God, just does not understand what I do. And so I'm spending two and a half hours with this guy changing the rear brakes. We're going to change the front brakes later. Long story short, uh, everything worked out. It's great. And that night I I ran to Panda to get dinner, uh, Panda Express, get uh, some Kung Pao chicken. And (laughs) I always love opening the fortune cookie and, and the fortune cookie literally says, the challenges of your week will melt away in the face of great kindness. So this is one of those object lessons, divine, where I'm the recipient, you know, rather than me doing something benevolent and wonderful for somebody else. And so I held on to that, and I just thought, you know, that's, that's just too funny. And so last night, we're eating dinner, and it's about 7.30, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm like, you know, God's like, you need to share that with your neighbor. And I'm like, he's probably, they get up super early in the morning. They're probably in bed right now. And God just was persistent. So, again, long story short, I find myself going over there. And the lights are out. I knock on the door. And she comes to the door. Um, and uh, she's in her pajamas. And, she, oh, Don's asleep on the couch, you know. And it's been a hard day, blah, blah, blah. And, and I said, well, I just, I did not want to take much time. I just want to encourage you. And I just said, you know, I, I'm not a believer in fortune cookies or them having any power, but I, I am the believer in God orchestrating events to speak to us and to encourage us. And I wanted to encourage um Don that uh, God used him. And as so I, I related the thing, I said, you know, I was, you know, just so blessed by his great kindness. And if you could just let him know that. And a little while later I'm, you know, upstairs working on the sermon some more and he calls me and he's like, They're moving right now, and he's been kind of packing up the house and selling stuff. He's been a surfboard collector for years, and he sold two boards last week for $7,000 to a museum in France. I mean, this is the kind of stuff he collects. He's insane. And uh, he said, it's been a really emotional day. And I was just, and so your words couldn't have come at a better time. And I just said, God, you work. You work in powerful ways, and how, how awesome that is. We're talking today about God's faithfulness, fruit of the Spirit, and we've got one more after this, actually two more, Um, but today's on faithfulness, and I would guess that most of you here know the words of Lamentations chapter 3, 22 and 23, and yet you don't know that you know them, but those words are, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. How many of you know that song? So you probably know it because you've sung it. But like Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord plans to prosper you and give you a future and a hope, we forget the words right before that. And this is a similar case. Lamentations is written by the prophet Jeremiah. He is known um, predominantly as the weeping prophet. Because he had a hard ministry. We don't know of a single convert in all of his years of faithfully proclaiming God's word and being faithful. And yet he was faithful to his call. He was faithful to the Lord. And he got picked on a bunch and he had tough times. And this is what Jeremiah says right before those words. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never... Forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. You're like, whoa, what's going on? Well, it's 586 B.C., and Israel has just been sacked. And the temple has just been burned. And the Israelites are being carted off to captivity in Babylon. And he is bummed, seriously bummed. He is despondent. He is despairing. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. But this next phrase is transformative. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. Whatever you're going through today, whatever you're going through this week, whatever you're going through right now in your life, you and I can dare to hope because of the faithfulness of God. It's very similar to the goodness of God that we talked about last week. If you weren't here last week, we talked about experiencing the goodness of God involves trusting God's heart that all of his motives and all of his intentions are true and he has the power to back it up. It means trusting his plan, that he, he has a good plan for us. And then finally trusting his timing. And we talked last week about Jeremiah 29, 11, that all the plans for us are good and future with the hope, but it was going to take 70 years for that to be fulfilled because of the captivity. And that involved generations of waiting, and that's not easy. But today we are banking on the faithfulness of God, and we're going to talk about faithfulness as it relates to God and faithfulness as it relates to us. but I've titled today "Dare to Hope," because it is precisely because of the faithfulness of God that you and I can get up every morning and dare to hope despite the circumstances in our life, despite what's going on, be it good or bad and i want to I want to I want to suggest to you today that Faithfulness, as I think about faithfulness throughout Scripture and just in general, to me, faithfulness involves consistency. It involves consistency. And I believe faithfulness is about consistency of character, it's about consistency of words, and it's about consistency of actions. And we're going to talk about all three of those today. Faithfulness involves consistency of character, consistency of words, and consistency of actions. As we talked about goodness last week, we, we acknowledge that we can't make ourselves good. Out of all the fruit of the Spirit, you know, we can try and be joyful, we can try and be loving, we can try and be patient, but I cannot make myself good. You cannot make yourself good. Scripture says all of our righteousness, our best efforts are like filthy rags when compared to a, a perfect holy God. Only God can make us holy, can make us perfect. And faithful is a lot the same. I mean, we have moments of faithfulness, but on the most part, we are faithless, broken people that break our promises, that are inconsistent in our words, inconsistent in our actions, and have violent swings in our character. Only God can do that. But as we talk about the faithfulness of God, what he does, again, flows out of who he is. What he does is an extension of who he is, and his actions are governed and guided by his heart, his goodness, his moral perfection, his love, his faithfulness. That's what we mean and understand when we talk about a faithful God. God is faithful first and foremost because his character is consistent. I love the words of Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. You will never wake up one day to find news that God has been involved in moral scandal. You will never experience a time in your life that he fails to keep his promise. You will never stop being, he will never stop being love-filled, grace-filled, merciful, righteous, and just. He will never cease to be perfect and complete and worthy of all praise and glory. That's the God that we serve. He will always be that way. We don't ever have to wonder, is he, is he going to maintain this, you know, great streak that he's on with holiness or perfection or omnipotence? He's doing a good job, but how long can he keep it up? Forever. He is God, and that's something that we count on and bank on. I want to read to you from Psalm 89. You're welcome to turn there if you want, but I'd rather just have you take it in and reflect upon it. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I'm just going to read 29 verses and go pretty quick, but just take it in. This is not written by David, but it's written by a guy named Ethan, and we don't know exactly who he was, but he was one of David's servants, and um, we believe he was one of the guys that carried the Ark of the Covenant. And so he was uh, first-hand witness and testifier to all that God was doing through Israel and through King David. He says, I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is as enduring as the heavens. The Lord said, I have made a covenant with David, my chosen servant. I have sworn this oath to him. I will establish your descendants as kings forever. They will sit on your throne from now until eternity. All heaven will praise your great wonders, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. For who in all heaven can compare with the Lord? What mightiest angel is anything like the Lord? The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. O God of heaven's armies, Where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue their storm-tossed waves. You crushed the great sea monster. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours, for you created it all. You created north and south. Mount Tabor and Mount Hermon, praise your name. Powerful is your arm, strong is your hand. Your right hand is lifted high in glorious strength. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship, for they will walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. They rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. They exult in your righteousness. You are their glorious strength. It pleases you to make us strong. Yes, our protection comes from the Lord, and he, the Holy One of Israel, has given us our king. Long ago, you spoke in a vision to your faithful people. You said, I have raised up a warrior. I have selected him from the common people to be king. I have found my servant David, and I have anointed him with holy oil. I will steady him with my hand, with my powerful arm, I will make him strong. His enemies will not defeat him, nor will the wicked overpower him. Verse 24, my faithfulness and unfailing love will be with him, and by my authority he will grow in power. I will extend his rule over the sea, his dominion over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him my firstborn son, the mightiest king on earth. I will love him and be kind to him forever. My covenant with him will never end. And I will preserve an heir for him. His throne will be as endless as the days of heaven. And we know that that was prophetic of Christ, who was the heir and the descendant of David, who would take that throne eternally and rule God is faithful first and foremost, because of his consistent character. secondly, his words God's words are never inconsistent, never contradictory. He doesn't say one thing and do another thing. Jesus is the Word of God, and again, his consistency of actions and 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 uh, all that he does flow from His consistency of character. Psalm 33 verse 4. For the Lord, the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. God is upright. That's his character. And all that he does flowing out of his character is is perfect and upright. God's words are not just comforting and peaceful and hopeful. They are life-giving and they are powerful. I love Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. His words, his promises, his predictions are reliable because they're true. They're not just well wishing thoughts, but they are true. And they're backed by his omnipotence, his ability to do all things. That's the power of our God. I love Psalm 91. Many of you love this passage as well. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my rock and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and your protection. So we clothe ourselves in the promises of God because they're not just good thoughts or good words, but they're, they're powerful. If God has said it, it's as good as done. And he will make good on every promise, every word that he has proclaimed. And that is... Our comfort, that is our strength. Well, the final thing is God's actions. God's character is consistent with his nature. His words are consistent. And finally, his actions are consistent. Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. And I love Hosea. How does God prove his faithfulness to us out of all of God's actions, what's one of the most profound ways that he, he proves that to us? Well, in the language of Hosea, chapter 2, verse 19 and 20, I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine. New American standard is I will betroth you to myself and you will finally know me as the Lord. We finally know God personally and begin to understand him through relationships. He said of David in Psalm 89 that we just read, I will make you my firstborn son. You will understand what it means to relate to me as a father and son and and to enter into the joyful work of your father and to partner together in kingdom work. And here he says to each one of you, even though I know you more than anyone else knows you from beginning to end, know everything about you, all of your your best things and most of all your worst things I, and I choose not only to be your friend but i'm gonna, i'm going to align myself with you I'm going to enter into a covenant marriage relationship with you that's that's mind blowing. <laughs> I mean, the grace of God, the mercy of God who looks beyond our faults because of Christ's finished work on the cross and enters into a marriage relationship with us. Powerful. And that's how we know the faithfulness of God, because he's committed to us for life. He has made a vow to us, and he will not break that. He will not go against that. How powerful that is. Well, that all applies to God. God is consistent in his character, in his words, in his actions. But what about us? Where do we start? And I would say right from the bat that we start by, by praying for each one of these things because we don't achieve these on our own. We only achieve consistency of character and, and uh, words and actions through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I love what someone once said. They said, you sow a thought and you reap an act. You sow an act and you reap a habit. You sow a habit and you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap a destiny. Character is so important because it shapes us. It molds us. It's essential. Uh, a number of leaders from CBC went to a conference this last week, which was part of my my ongoing licensing and credentialing with the Missionary Church Denomination. Not Ventura Missionary Church, but The Missionary Church International. And one of our speakers, one of our keynote speakers, was a guy named Todd Bolsinger, who's from Fuller Seminary, and he gave us his book, one of his books that he's just written, called Canoeing the Mountains. And it's about early American explorers who were trying to uh, find a passageway to the ocean where they could increased transportation, on and on. But he did such a good job of bringing that in with spiritual principles. And in that book, he says this, which is spot on with our discussion today. He says, relational congruence is the ability to fundamentally be the same person with the same values in every relationship, in every circumstance, especially amidst crisis. Relational congruence is the ability to be fundamentally the same person with the same values in every relationship, in every circumstance, and especially in times of crisis and challenge. That's what we're praying for. We're praying for consistency of character that allows us to be the same person with everybody that we meet and everybody that we relate with, in every circumstance that we find ourselves, whether good or bad, and especially in times of challenge. And I believe our prayer needs to be similar to King David in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone I have sinned and have done what is evil in your sight. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a loyal, steadfast, faithful spirit within me. God, only you can make me faithful. Only God can make us faithful. It's not something where we grit our teeth and we double down on our efforts. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of holy transformation. It's a miracle. It's impossible on human terms. It's interesting that the Greek word for character originally was used in connection with with tools designed for engraving. I thought, how appropriate? Because character is a tool that marks us, that in one sense cuts us, shapes us, engraves us. We are image bearers who are intended by God to make him known in a way that no one else on earth can do. And God shapes us, God carves us, God engraves his heart upon our heart and his character upon our character through all the experiences of life which are not random, which are not coincidental, but they are purposeful and intentional because he is molding us to be like him, to be transformed into his image. And so he's carving us, and he does that with our character, because that is the core of who we are, the core of who we are. I quoted from Wayne Stiles last week. He's got this book called Waiting on God, and it's just chock full of amazing stuff. He said, God works through our waiting to strengthen our character. That was last week, timing, trusting God's timing. God works through our waiting to strengthen our character, To develop our peace of mind by trusting him in chaos. And to teach us that we can glorify him him just as much by waiting on him as we can by serving him. We want to get on with the work, with, with doing something for God. And God's like, you can glorify me in the waiting as well. I am doing a work in you that if you saw it, you wouldn't be able to believe it. You couldn't even comprehend it. And so trust me in the waiting. Just like Brittany was talking about growing things. That that involves putting seeds in the ground and not seeing any results for a while. But stuff is happening. Stuff is germinating. Stuff is growing. Stuff is flourishing. And it's the work of God. And that's his work within us as well. I read a story this week of a Fortune 500 company that was poised to make a major move that was unprecedented. They were about to promote a 38-year-old from being vice president to president. The young man was a very impressive businessman who had wooed and awed the board of directors. Upon completing the final interview process, the board broke for lunch with plans to offer this man the prestigious position. The young man went to lunch uh, alone that day and was coincidentally and unintentionally followed by several of the board members who happened to stand in line behind him. Naturally, they were watching him closely filled with pride and excitement about the coming announcement. But then everything changed. When the young man came to the bread table, he placed two three-cent butter patties on his tray and nonchalantly covered them up with his napkin. And then he paid for the meal, failing to reveal the stolen treasures. An hour later, a room that should have been filled with joy was instead Marked by anger. And instead of being promoted to president, the young man with his promising future was fired all for six cents worth of butter. And I thought, you know, negative example, but how many times in my life, how many times in your life have we sold out for six cents or for something that when when you thought about it was so cheap and so worthless and so vain. Friends, it's about character. And God is carving us. God is etching us. God is engraving his DNA in ours because our words flow out of that. And that's point number two, words, our consistency of words. Being people that speak truth, that are not contradictory in what we say because hopefully we're lifting up God's words and not just our own. I read about a boy this week who worked in the produce section of a market. A woman came in and asked to buy half a head of lettuce. The boy told her that they only sold whole heads of lettuce because that's the way God made them. That makes sense, huh? (laughs) But the woman replied, You mean to tell me that after all these years of shopping here, I can't buy half a head of lettuce? The boy said he would go and talk to his manager about the matter. The boy walked into the back room and said, There's some moron out there who wants to buy only half a head of lettuce. As he was finished saying this, he turned around to find the woman standing right behind him. So he quickly added, and this nice lady wants to buy the other half. (laughs) Later, the manager called the boy into his office and said, you almost got yourself in a lot of trouble earlier. But I must say, I was impressed with the way that you got yourself out of it. You think on your feet, and we like that around here. Where are you from, son, anyways? Minnesota, sir, replied the boy. Oh, really? Well, why did you leave, asked the manager. Because the whole state is made up of ugly women and hockey players up there, replied the boy. Really, said the manager. My wife is from Minnesota. (laughs) Without missing a beat, the boy responded, no kidding. What team did she play for? Love that and it's a good laugh but being consistent with our words is not about being a smooth talker it's not about being quick on our feet it's about when people see you 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 are what you present you you stand behind your word you're consistent in what you say you're consistent in what you promise and i would i would add that as christians especially we are those who are consistently and continually lifting up the consistency of God and not ourselves. You know, hopefully we are people that are singing his praises and not our own. You know, if you and I would only get out of the spotlight and let God have the stage, you know, how often our words are just so hungry and just so desperate for validation and affirmation and acknowledgement that people might see all that we're doing and all that we are and, and it's not about us. It's about lifting him up. And we have his word. And if we simply proclaim his word, we know we'll be consistent with our words because God's word does not contradict. It is not inconsistent. David says in Psalm 40, verse 10, I have not kept the good news of your justice hidden in my heart. I have talked about your faithfulness and saving power. I have told everyone in the great assembly of your unfailing love and faithfulness. I think the best thing that we can do, friends, with our words is to lift up the Lord and to bring him glory. And that starts with getting ourselves out of the, out of the focus, out of the spotlight. The, the third and final thing, actions. actions. I love what Eleanor Roosevelt said. She said, once philosophy is not best expressed in words, it is expressed in the choices that one makes. One's philosophy, one's beliefs are not best expressed in words, but rather in the choices that we make. We just talked about, you you reap a thought, you reap a, I mean, yeah, a thought leads to an act, an act leads to a habit, a habit leads to our character, and our character determines our destiny. Actions are so important, so important. If I were to say the 67th Attorney General of the United States, most of us would be like, yeah, whatever, who? Who? Well, his name was John Newton Mitchell. And again, I would be like, yeah, he could be a poet or an author for all I know. But he was the 67th Attorney General of the United States. And when I say this, it'll find resonance who served under President Nixon. And he said this, you will be better advised to watch what we do instead of what we say the American public. You will be better advised to watch what we do rather than what we say. We're politicians. We can tell you anything. We can make you any promises, but you're better off watching what we do than what we say. Powerful. I read about Giuseppe Garibaldi this week, an Italian general in the 19th century. Responsible, many say, almost single-handedly for uniting southern and northern Italy. And he was known for saying, Give me the ready hand rather than the ready tongue. I can turn the world upside down and move mountains with the ready hand that's willing to join me rather than the ready tongue that just professes allegiance and professes availability but doesn't follow through. I was reading one of Rick Warren's books. He said, I'm looking For a second reformation. The first reformation of the church 500 years ago was about beliefs. The second reformation is going to be about deeds, about actions. God is, uh, I'm sorry, this one is going to be about deeds. It's not going to be about what the church believes, but about what the church is doing. So, you know, 500 years ago with Martin Luther, we nailed the 95 theses on the door, and it was very much about what we believed, and it was groundbreaking. But it's no longer just relevant to talk about what we believe, but it's about what we're doing, what we as the church of God are doing in this world and in this community. And finally, I love what author and pastor John Ortberg says. He says, very often God's will for you is wanting you to decide because decision-making is an indispensable part of character formation. God is primarily in the character-forming business, not in the circumstance-shaping business. Huge. Do we ever think about that God doesn't just give us all the answers? He doesn't just direct us and give us wisdom with all the choices we should make because part of forming our character, part of spiritual formation and developing us is letting us make decisions because we grow through the decisions we make. Well, that didn't work out so well. I'm never doing that again. That was not honoring to God or my family. That was, that was a disaster. You know? And God uses us through decision-making to form us and to build us. All of these quotes by random people building up to Psalm 37, verse 3. I love this, this verse, and it's in the study guide this week for you guys to chew on, to ponder. But Psalm 37 is that famous psalm that says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. What does it mean to cultivate faithfulness? Well, the, the Hebrew word that's used here means to feed, to fuel. But beyond that, it's interesting that this Hebrew word 63 times in the Old Testament means to shepherd. Dwell in the land and shepherd faithfulness. Cultivate faithfulness. And I thought, what a perfect example we have in Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word dwelt among us, lived in our presence, and we beheld God's glory. Glory as of the only begotten Son. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends... Being faithful means incarnational ministry. It means living amongst the people that we serve. It means going to that place of pain and hurt or joy and relating to people on, on the level that they can receive it and, and allowing God's spirit to work through us to bring about the faithfulness that he desires. Planting seeds like Brittany talked about and being patient and waiting upon the harvest, watering it, nurturing it, nurturing it weeding it, doing all that we need to do but trusting God for the result. And I just want to close today by saying, as, as I started out, doing all of these things, being consistent in our, in our character, in our words, in our actions, is, is insanity. It's a total pipe dream in our own efforts. And every good sermon should leave us at a place of despair, like how in the world do I do this? How do I accomplish this? How is this ever possible? And that's where we say, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God made a way through his son. It is only possible through a relationship with Jesus Christ and through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. It's impossible apart from that. And that is why we need Jesus. That is why we need Jesus. Even our best efforts amount to faithlessness. Only he can make us faithful. And as we approach the table today, I'm going to invite the elders to come forward as we pray to. Wait upon the elements here of communion, the body and the, the blood of Jesus that was broken and shed for us. Will you bow with me in prayer?